My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders of our church in charge of our preaching team. And on behalf of Grace Fellowship Church, I welcome you. Thanks for joining us today, especially if this is your first time. We're really glad to have you with us. And welcome to those joining us on Zoom as well. We are delighted to have you all with us. Through the fall and winter, just over the last few months, we preached through a series of brief poetic books of the Old Testament. And one of those books was the book of Lamentations, where we saw the anguished cries of God's people suffering at God's hand for their sins. And since today is the day when the Christian church traditionally gives focused attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I decided that I would like to revisit one of my favorite passages from the book of Lamentations to show how the pain of our suffering finds its answer in both Jesus' resurrection and ours. That's where we're going today. To see how the pain of our suffering finds its answer in both Jesus' resurrection and ours. Our suffering actually necessitates resurrection. And so in particular, on your outlines in the bulletin, you can see that the resurrection is our proof that exclusion is not forever... Grief does not dilute love, and the Lord does not afflict from his heart. We'll be in Lamentations chapter 3, if you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 644. And we'll be starting at verse 31. Let me pray once more for our time in God's word. Our Father, Lord Uh, We are so grateful to you, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power of your Spirit raised Jesus, your Son, bodily from the grave. And we bow before you and we set our hope in you and help us to see from the Scripture this morning that in the resurrection of Jesus, which is a foretaste of our own resurrection, we find the answer to our longing, to our suffering, to our pain. Open our eyes now that we might see wonderful things in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our primary text this morning is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 through 33. These are three of the most important verses in the central chapter of that book of Lamentations. See, in this chapter, all of chapter 3, the poet is fighting and wrestling hard to try to find some hope amid his severe pain and grief. And this book of Lamentations was written in light of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire in the 6th century B.C., And the poetry in most of the book represents the cries of the people to God lamenting their sin and their suffering. But here in the central chapter, chapter 3, 
These three verses especially provide the statement of faith. These verses provide the reasons why hope remains possible when everything falls apart. Here it is, Lamentations 3, 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. That's our text this morning. Each of these three verses describes something unpleasant that God does, which is then accompanied by a but or a not to clarify his promises and intentions. So we've got something unpleasant, which is then clarified with a but or a not. We'll consider them in order. First, in verse 31, we see that exclusion is not forever. In verse 31, the first thing that the poet assumes in this verse is that the Lord does, in fact, cast off his people. See, he, he casts them off, but, but he qualifies, that's the unpleasant thing, that he qualifies that assumption by saying that the Lord does not do so forever. He does not cast off his people forever. You see, this is one of the side effects of suffering. It's that it feels like God has cast you off. It feels like he has shoved you aside and forgotten you. It feels like he used to include you along with all those other happy people out there. But he has since treated you like someone beneath his notice, someone outside his inner circle. And so the battered wife wonders how God could have ever loved her by providing her with such a poor and hurtful husband. And the one with chronic illness feels as though they are a burden to others. And so God has removed the possibility of close, stress-free relationships. So they feel excluded. And the person suffering the consequences of their own immoral behavior feels constant shame and guilt instead of intimacy and closeness with God. It is simply a reality that the more intense your suffering is, the more you will feel like an outsider. Like you have been excluded, you have been cast off. You feel abnormal, you feel unworthy, you feel unable to enter the same circles of friendship with God and with other people that other people seem to have. And when you believe what the Bible says about the sovereignty and the almighty rule of God, you cannot escape the conclusion that the Lord is the one who has cast you off. But our God does not make his peace with this state of affairs. 
He cannot simply shrug his shoulders and move on to other people who are not as needy as you or who have proven themselves more worthy than you. No, the pain of your suffering finds its answer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, breathing his last breaths, he experienced the worst exclusion possible from his father. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus knows what it's like to be cast off. He knows this, and that is not the end of the story. That is not the answer. No, three days later, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and bestowed on him glory and a kingdom. And in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John delivers greetings at the very beginning of his book directly from the Father and the Spirit and the resurrected Son in perfect fellowship with one another. Revelation 1 verse 4, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. You see, death and exclusion were not the end of Jesus' story, because he goes on to say that Jesus has, he loves us, and he's freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom And priests to his God and Father. See, the answer to Jesus' exclusion and his suffering was found in his resurrection from the dead, showing him to be God's anointed king now and forever. But that's not all. Because Jesus has been raised, so also will all who trust in him. The pain of your suffering finds its answer not only in Jesus' resurrection, but also in your own. But I must be honest. If you do not yet follow Jesus by trusting him and honoring him as your king, the promise of resurrection is in fact a promise to you of an exclusion that will last forever. When Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, those who have not set their hope on him will be cast off from his presence forever. Resurrection is coming, but for those who do not belong to Jesus, it is a resurrection of judgment. Please pledge your allegiance to Jesus today. And you can eagerly await his return as king. As my namesake, the Apostle Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Brothers and sisters, this present suffering, this time of being cast off will not last forever. Lamentations promises for those in Christ that it will not last 
forever. And the New Testament closes the deal by explaining what remains to come. Peter says, after this short period of suffering, that's what life here on earth is. It's a short time. After that, God himself will restore and establish you. New life is on its way. This world is not all there is. This body and this suffering is not the end of the story. It's just a brief middle chapter. So when you feel excluded from intimacy with God and with others, let this feeling of exclusion fuel your hope And ignite your prayers for God to hasten the day of resurrection. To take that which has already begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And bring it to completion in our resurrection as well. Suffering necessitates resurrection. Because exclusion is not forever. Second. Grief does not dilute love. Back to Lamentations 3, where verse 32 has the audacity to tell us something very, very unpleasant, which is that God causes grief. Do you see it in verse 32? Though he cause grief. You see, in this verse, the poet doesn't merely assume the unpleasant thing. He says it straight out. And this is so important to understand because we are often desperately trying to separate God from our grief as far as possible. We want to think that God would have nothing to do with our grief. Surely God's highest purpose is to make us happy, right? And so we value an unfeeling, stoic approach to hardship where we sing that God is good all the time, which is true, by the way, But what we often mean by it is that bad things happen independently of him as though we couldn't trust a God who was unsafe, unpredictable, or who didn't give me what I want. But friends, it is so important to grasp the fact that God causes grief. Because if he wasn't responsible for causing it, How could he ever be responsible for removing it or replacing it? If God is not the one who got you into your mess, how could you ever trust him to have the capacity to get you out of it? But but that's not even the main idea. That's just the starting assumption. The main idea in this verse is that though he causes grief, he will have compassion. Because that is the result of his abundant love. Your grief is not the end of the story. Your grief is not your lot for eternity. It is not what it means always and forever to be human. No, your grief was given to you in part... So that you might not take for granted 
how abundant is his steadfast love. And I have been so impacted by this steadfast love of God that I must make a confession to you all today, which is that I confess that I have tried to be the kind of father to my children that God the Father is to his children. And I really mean this as a confession because I confess that I have caused my children grief somewhat often. I make them eat vegetables, especially salad, which causes particular grief to one of my beloved sons with whom I am well pleased. I require them to obey their mother. I ask them to work hard before we play hard. I make them clean up their toys in their rooms before we can watch a movie together as a family. I confess that I have even used my superior strength to manhandle and physically restrain screaming children so that doctors could administer stitches to their gaping wounds. On one such occasion, I continued holding a child down, even while she screamed at the top of her lungs, You don't love me! You don't love me! Now, one major difference between me and God is that when I cause grief, it is only sometimes hopefully often, for a greater purpose of love and compassion. Yes, I regularly and sadly, I confess, cause them grief when, for example, I fail to keep my promises to them or I forget things that are important to them. But when God causes grief, it is always according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So yes, I understand, and God understands that there has been grief in your lives. In fact, some of you have had just extraordinary amounts of grief in your lives. But our God does not make his peace with that state of affairs. He cannot simply shrug his shoulders and move on to other people who are not as volatile as you or who have proven themselves tougher than you about their suffering. No, The pain of your suffering finds its answer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The night before Jesus died, he experienced the severest of grief at the hands of his father. He was in that garden praying, begging God, the father, if he was willing to remove the cup of suffering that he was about to endure by dying on the cross. And God's answer was, no, I'm not going to take that away. You must go and die for the sin of the world. And Jesus' grief was such that God had to send an angel to him to minister to him. And being in agony, as he was praying, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He knows what it's like for God to cause grief. But that is not the end of the story. That is not the answer. 
No, three days after Jesus died, God raised him from the dead to demonstrate his faithful and steadfast resurrecting love for the world. In the Gospel of John, we learn that the thing that motivated Jesus, that compelled him forward to endure his grief, was the compassion and steadfast love of God. In John 5, verse 20, Jesus said, The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. So you see, at the end of Jesus' story, He knew looking ahead there was resurrection. Resurrection for Him that He would pass on to others. And what motivated Him to get to the end now, here and now was the love of the Father for the Son. Death and grief was not the end, but the answer to Jesus' resurrection uh, Excuse me, the answer to Jesus' suffering was found in his resurrection, showing him to be God's appointed agent of undiluted love for the world, now and forever. But that's not all. Because Jesus has been raised, so also will all who trust in him. The pain of your suffering finds its answer not only in Jesus' resurrection, but also in your own. And yet again, I cannot lie to you, because for those who do not yet trust in Jesus and serve him as their king, the coming resurrection holds a promise not of abundant love, but of wrath and anger toward your sin. You see, either Jesus pays for your sin... Or you must pay for it yourself. Please turn from your sin and trust Jesus today so you can understand and enjoy the love of God now and forever. And for those who have set their hope in Jesus Christ as their king, we get a picture of the resurrecting love that he has in the book of Revelation Again, when the Apostle John sees a vision of the resurrected Christ, John falls down as though he were dead. And yet Jesus comes up to him, he lays his hand on John and tells him not to fear. And why is that? Chapter 1, verse 17, it's because Jesus says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Friends, your present suffering, this time of experiencing grief, does not dilute God's love. Lamentations promises that his love is abundant. And the New Testament closes the deal by explaining what remains to come. It has been appointed to humans to die once, and after this comes judgment. And in that judgment, the unstoppable love of God raises God's children from their graves to new life on the new heaven and the new earth. You see, new life is on its way. This world is not all there is. This body and this suffering is not the end of the story. It's only a brief middle chapter. So when you feel the grief of life 
in this fallen world. Let your grief fuel your hope and ignite your prayers for God to hasten the day of resurrection, to take that which he has already begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and bring it to completion in your resurrection as well. Suffering necessitates resurrection because grief does not dilute God's love for you. Third, our final point here is that the Lord does not afflict from his heart. We go back to Lamentations 3 where verse 33 has the audacity to tell us that God afflicts the children of men. Right before repeating the previous verse's assumption that he grieves the children of men. Now, I can read, if you're looking at the ESV translation, I do understand it says that he does not afflict. But since the previous verse said straight out that he does cause grief, here in verse 33, the word not is not modifying the afflict or the grieve. He's not saying that God does not afflict and does not grieve. He's saying that he does not do these things from his heart. The word not is modifying the phrase from his heart. So once again, we need to grapple with this biblical truth. The age-old question for sufferers has been what to do when bad things happen to good people. Back in the 1980s, there was a number one national best-selling book published with the title, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was written by a Jewish rabbi named Harold Kushner. And in this book, as Rabbi Kushner reaches his climax, the title of the next to last chapter in the book is this. God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. And that is supposed to comfort you when bad things happen to you. It is tragic that a reader of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, would conclude that God cannot do everything. But he can do some important things. It's as though he's just watching what's happening to you, helpless to do anything about it, except maybe come alongside and walk with you and be sad with you. Many passages in Scripture go directly against this view of God. One of them is right here in Lamentations 3.33. God is the one who both afflicts and grieves the children of men. But we must understand, he does not do so from his heart. He doesn't do this from a desire to put them in their place. He does not do this to harm them or to prove how inferior they are compared to him. No, this verse tells us that he does not afflict or grieve from his heart. In other words, he afflicts and he grieves when he has to, but not because it jazzes him up to do so. That is not his heart. His heart is one of gentleness, one of overflowing compassion and abundant love. He is a father who afflicts his children in order to improve them. He is a father who causes grief so that his children might be made more healthy, 
more mature and more like him in the end. So yes, I understand and God understands that there has been affliction in your lives. In fact, some of you have had just extraordinary amounts of affliction. But our God does not make his peace with this state of affairs. He cannot simply shrug his shoulders, wishing he could do something about it, and then move on to others who are not as error-prone as you are, or, or others who have proven themselves brave enough for him. No, this is not his heart of hearts. This is not the kind of God we serve. The pain of your suffering finds its answer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and he rose so that God's love and not God's affliction could go out to the ends of the earth. The most famous verse in the Bible makes this clear, but sometimes we miss the point. God so loved the world. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, please understand what John 3.16 and 17 are saying. According to John, it is not the case that God loves you because Jesus died for you. As though God was just fuming beforehand and he could barely stand you and Jesus stepped in at the last moment to appease him. Yes, God is angry at sin. Yes, God will punish it eternally. But for those who trust in Christ and receive eternal life, God doesn't love you because Jesus died for you. No, this verse clearly states the opposite. That Jesus died for you because God loves you. God so loved the world. That's the first thing. Because of that, he gave his only son. That's the second thing. And now anyone who believes in Jesus won't perish, but will have eternal life. That's the third thing. And when God gave up his only son, he was preparing him for resurrection so that the world could know that he really is the savior of the world, that his sacrifice worked and it was exactly what God sent him to do. And now just as Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again, so too can we who trust him rise one day from the dead, never to die again. Friends, affliction and grief were not the end of the story. The answer to Jesus' suffering was found in his resurrection from the dead, showing him, proving to the world that he was God's beloved son sent to give eternal life now and forever. You see, Jesus' resurrection made visible God's heart of love for the world. But that's not all. Because Jesus has been raised, so also will all who trust him. 
The pain of your suffering finds its answer not only in Jesus' resurrection, but also in your own. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus and bowed the knee to him as your king, please know that God the Father sent Jesus into the world because he loves the world. He does not want to condemn you. But if you refuse to trust him, you are condemned already. Please turn today and set your hope in the resurrected one who gave you life. I beg of you. For those who have trusted in Jesus for life, for acceptance and forgiveness. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Nothing can ever separate you from God's heart of love. Please don't take that for granted. Because even in the midst of your affliction, this is God's heart for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this present suffering, this time of experiencing affliction from the hand of God does not reflect the essence of God's heart toward his children. Because the first thing on that list that I just read from Romans 8, I am sure that death cannot separate us from the love of God. You see, death is not the end of the story. Lamentations assures us that it is not God's heart of hearts only to afflict, though it is rather painful and unpleasant. This is not who God is in the end. And the New Testament closes the deal by explaining what remains to come. It has been appointed for humans to die once, and after this comes judgment. And in that judgment, the unstoppable love of God raises God's children from their graves to new life, on the new heaven and the new earth. You see, new life is on its way. This world is not all there is. And when we rise from the dead, we will see our God face to face. And His doting, fatherly love will be made visible for all creation under heaven to witness. So when you are afflicted under the mighty hand of God, let this affliction fuel your hope, and ignite your prayers for God to hasten that day of resurrection, for him to take that which he has already begun in the resurrection of Jesus and bring it to completion in our resurrection as well. Suffering necessitates resurrection because your affliction is not from the heart of God.
In conclusion, the pain of our suffering finds its answer in both Jesus' resurrection and in ours. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that exclusion is not forever. Grief does not dilute God's love. And the Lord does not afflict from his heart. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, you are a God of resurrecting love. Thank you for showing us your heart. May we find our delight in you and who you are and may we find our hope in what you have already begun in Jesus that you will bring to completion for us on the day of resurrection. Please hasten that day, Lord, and bring an end to our affliction and our grief forever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.